the scripture reading is from the book of Acts chapter 27, and it's just select verses from this really profound narrative about Paul's life. I'm going to set it up. Paul is in prison. He has been told that he must go to Rome, and so he's put on a ship, and there are almost 300 people on this vessel, and this vessel is going to set sail and continue to set sail at a time that's actually dangerous. And Paul knows it, and he's going to speak about it, and his counsel is going to be rejected. But then something really amazing is going to happen. God is going to speak. He's going to speak to Paul through an angel, and then Paul is going to speak. And what you're going to see from the beginning of this text to the end, in fact, all the way to the end of Acts, is that God can't be stopped. He can't be stopped. He's going to accomplish the mission of making his gospel go into all the world until the last of his children have received it and believed. Just like you, just like me, God cannot be stopped. Let's rise for the reading of God's word. Acts 27, beginning at verse 1. The text is in your bulletin, or you can follow along in your own Bible. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sell with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in this ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, indeed, we're thankful for your holy word, and we really are thankful, Holy Spirit, that you will do what only you can do. You're going to make us hear and make us see, make us think and make us feel. 
You're going to cause the truth to be spoken and believed. That is our prayer. We pray it in faith because we know you've done it, are doing it, and will continue to do it. We ask boldly, so transform us, Lord, with these words. Transform us now and prepare us to come to this banquet to feast in joy the sacrament that you have given us. We pray in your holy name, amen. When I served as a youth pastor, we obviously were involved often in small groups, times to take students deeper into the word, and so we often were looking for questions that would take them to a place maybe they weren't willing to go or weren't willing to express. In many ways, as a senior pastor, I continue to do the same thing in small groups, taking us to places deeper and deeper with questions that will reveal more of who we are in light of what God's word says. One of the questions that was always interesting for kids to engage with was this question. What does your life look like with Christ right now? Describe it as a boat on water. And kids would look at you and they would begin to think. And so I'd repeat, what does your life with God look like right now? Describe your relationship with God as a boat on water. What kind of boat are you in and on what kind of water? Now that question is really significant. Even now, all of us, regardless of age and stage, could answer that question. As you entered into the sanctuary today, how would you describe your relationship with God as a boat on water? What kind of boat are you in and on what kind of water? Over the years, I remember hearing things that kids would say and later adults, I'm on a speedboat and we are flying so fast, but nobody is in control. Some would say, I feel like I'm on a little bitty sailboat and I'm in the middle of the ocean and there is no wind. And the name on the side of my boat is skepticism. Another student once said, I, I'm like Tom Sawyer. I have created a raft and I'm trying to sail it up this river and the river is just coming at me and it's falling apart. I remember one person saying, honestly, I'm on a cruise ship and I'm at a buffet and the buffet's called sin and I'm just deeply immersed. I'm alone. Nobody even sees me amongst all the crowds and that's where I wanna stay. Where's God? I don't know. One and said, as I think about my life with God right now, I think I'm in a paddle boat and I'm trying to make it across the ocean. What would you say today? What is your life with God like? Now, there was an occasional student that would say something like, oh, I'm parasailing. I'm behind a ski nautique and I'm high up in the heavens and I am seeing the glory of God all around me. And I feel so tethered to him that he's in charge and leading the boat and I feel so much peace. But that didn't happen very often. Most of the time as individuals described their relationship with God as a boat on water, they were speaking of feeling alone, confused, afraid, numb, scared, where was God so often nowhere present? The point of the question allowed those who were leading them to take them to a place to see the truth about God, that God actually is always present. 
He actually is the one sovereign over the water. You may feel like it's an ocean, or you might feel like it's a category five rapids, but God is sovereign over all of that. No matter what you feel, no matter what your perspective is, this is the truth about God, even in the midst of the storm. And so here we find this very significant motif in scripture, a preacher in a boat in the midst of a storm. Noah, Jonah, Jesus, and now Paul. Paul is on a journey as a prisoner. He's being obedient to the calling of God and proclaiming Jesus, but for doing so, he's now been arrested. So he's thrown into this, this boat with other prisoners. He has favor in the eyes of this, this cohort named Julius. But then Paul begins to speak about what he sees, not so much spiritually first, but just about the circumstances of the life around him. So Paul's perception about the voyage is made clear. Look with me at verse nine. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. So to shorten it, Paul believed that they were gonna die. If we go the route that you're saying we're gonna go at this time of year, we are gonna lose cargo and we're gonna lose lives. Well, the centurion didn't listen. Instead, he listened to the pilot. And why wouldn't he? He's the one with the experience. And he listened to the boat owner. He's the one with the power and experience. So Paul and his counsel was rejected. The cohort, Julius, simply listened to the others and off they went. Paul's perception about the voyage is that it's going to be dangerous. And his feeling as a prisoner on this boat is I'm powerless to do anything about it. I am locked up. I've spoken what is going to happen and yet we have set sail. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you can see something that's coming in the future? And you, won't, you don't wanna be arrogant and prideful, but you know you're right, and yet you're powerless because the people in control won't listen to what you're saying. I know you felt that. Well, this was Paul's perception about the voyage. But then Paul's perception, because perceptions aren't always right, becomes a reality. Verses 18 to 21, Paul says, since, or Luke tells us, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. So now picture this scene. This really happened. This was a real ship on a real body of water. And now they're in this storm and they're beginning to throw things overboard. The perception that Paul had has now become a reality. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all of our hope of being saved was at last abandoned. In other words, now everybody on that ship the sailors leading the prisoners, all of them knew it's, it's a lost cause. We have lost all hope. There is no way that we are going to be saved. They're in a violently storm-tossed situation. I love the way Luke describes the darkness. We can't see during the day and we certainly can't see at night. And so now we have tossed all of the cargo overboard, but something else has been tossed overboard too. And that is our hope. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever find your life in Christ as a boat on water 
where you feel so isolated, so overwhelmed by what you can't see because the darkness is true during the day and at night. And you, if you're honest, would say, I'm losing hope. My heart is shrinking. When I think about the world that we live in, what does it feel like to send kids to school this coming Monday? Are you thinking differently about the doors that your kids enter and exit? Sure you are. The world has changed and it is dark. The waters are turbulent. It's frightening. Do you ever feel like tossing it all overboard too? They did. They believed that there was no hope of them being saved. But then something amazing happens. Paul's perception, we will lose lives, is now becoming a reality. Paul's perception becomes a reality in the violent tossed storm. But then something amazing happens. Paul's reality, that which he's living, the water that he is feeling on the ship, the tossing that he is experiencing along with the other 276 persons, his revelation, God's revelation, Paul's reality is transformed by this revelation. I first wrote Paul's perspective, his reality is informed by the revelation, but that's not strong enough. You see, God knows what's going on in that ship. And God sends an angel not to inform Paul, but to transform Paul. The word of God is not just about information. It's not just about us receiving a message and becoming smarter Christians. It is about us humbly setting ourselves before the word of God, expecting each time that the word will transform us. Paul writes in the Romans book, the letter, Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We tell people as a church, we exist to extend the transforming presence of Jesus, not just information. And so Paul hears from God. Look with me in verse 22. Yet now I urge you men to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only for the ship. For this very night, verse 23, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Do you see Paul's identity? There stood before me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong. Permanent identity, primary identity, and whom I worship. And this angel said to me, an angel speaking is revealing the will of God. This angel said to me, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. That's amazing, isn't it? So here's Paul. Paul speaks boldly. This is what I perceive is going to happen. His perception becomes reality. In the midst of this reality, he is transformed by revelation from the angel, and he speaks. He speaks boldly and says, you should have listened to me. By the way, you can't use that as a proof text to tell that to someone. But Paul does that. You should have listened to me. And now they are. They're listening because all their hope had been thrown overboard. And Paul says... None of us are going to die. How could they believe that? Well, they saw a man who believed it, and he did. 
But he says this in verse 26, but we must run aground on some island. What is Paul saying? None of us are going to die, but the ship is going to wreck. None of us are going to die, but you're going to be swimming for your life. None of us are going to die, but some of you who can't swim are going to be clinging to boards, kicking your feet, and you're going to make it. That's amazing, isn't it? Paul is transformed by the revelation. And when God's word revealed to us goes deep and transform us, transforms us, we must speak. We must speak to those who are in this world, who sense its pain and destruction, who are afraid, and it's understandable, who are living this world and the marriage has fallen apart and their children are rebelling, or their children aren't rebelling, but they're consumed with anxiety. Are they lonely, longing for someone? So many things can shipwreck our lives. And here's Paul saying to these men, take heart, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Brothers and sisters, take heart. It is going to be exactly as God said. I promise. But that doesn't mean no shipwrecks. That doesn't mean no pain. That doesn't mean that life is always going to be spared. But what it does mean is that he is always going to be leading us. He is the head of his church. He is always going to be with us perfectly. Even when we describe our life on water and it's as if God is nowhere present. Even if we would describe it as lonely, confusing, frightening, numb, skeptical, he is there. He's leading us. He's with us. He will never forsake us. How do we know? Because Paul didn't just give them a promise. He also showed them provision. God's grace for us is present in the moment of the voyage. No matter how dangerous the voyage seems, his presence is here. It's here in his word, and it's here in the sacrament. Paul, verse 33, says, or Luke tells us, that Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense. How many days, dear friend, have you continued in suspense? How many days have you continued in suspense regarding a disease that you have been diagnosed with? How many days have you continued in suspense of wondering whether or not there truly is love in your marriage? And if there's not, what are we going to do about it? How many days have you continued in suspense wondering how dark is this world going to get? How many days have you continued in suspense just wondering where the Lord is. Paul tells these folks, today's the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, you've taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you, take some food for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. 
Paul believed it was true because that came from God, not from him. Verse 35, and when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. The Lord's table is a powerful meal because Jesus commanded us to take and eat. It's a powerful meal because he knew we would need it. Jesus was sent to this earth with the will of his Father, a voyage that he would take that would end in his destruction where he would be overwhelmed by the weight of sin and his father's wrath. And he would go to the cross after living the life that we all deserve, or the life that we could never live, and then dying the death that we all deserve to die. He would conquer death. Before he went to the cross, he had this meal with his disciples. And his instructions through his word were that we would do the same thing in remembrance of what Christ did that we would draw encouragement in the midst of our own journey, our own voyage. You've come to this sanctuary today, and I know that you have perceived things about the world. Some of you, it's moved beyond perception and it's now a reality. And my prayer is that the word of God will transform you in the midst of that reality even now, and that you will come forward to this table in Christ longing to be transformed as you are reminded and encouraged that God can't be stopped, that his promises are true, that his provision of word and the provision of himself is real. Jesus took that dangerous voyage and he told us that ours would be dangerous as well. But instead of just giving us a promise, he gave us himself, and he continues to do so. The powerful presence of the Holy Spirit is inside every man and woman that professes faith in Jesus, every child that professes faith in Jesus. No matter what the circumstances of your life lead, might lead you to say about the kind of boat you're in on the kind of water, our Lord is leading us. Our Lord is with us. He will never forsake us. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. And many people know the story of John Newton in the midst of a storm professing faith in Jesus. But prior to John Newton having that experience and then crying out for God to save him, he was drunk on a ship at an earlier time. He broke into the cask of rum, was beaten and abused by the captain of that ship, so badly that he eventually fell overboard. He was so drunk that he could not swim. To save his life, the captain took a harpoon and threw it into John Newton. And then with the barb making its connection, he then pulled him back onto the boat. That is not the moment when he came to saving faith, but was part of the story of rescue where God continued to reveal to John Newton that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. 
For all who are in Christ Jesus, God uses so many different circumstances to bring us to a place where we cry out to him because we believe that without him, we're not gonna make it. This motif running through scripture is profound. We see it in Psalm 107, when the men on that ship roam around like drunken sailors. And when they came to their wits end, it says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. And we see it in the life of Jesus as he's on a boat in the midst of a storm asleep. And what did the disciples say to him? Don't you care? And what did he do? He wakes up and he says, be calm, be still. As you come to the table today, you come to feast, to find encouragement, to be comforted in our Lord and Savior Jesus. This table is not a perception. It's a reality. May God use these elements to transform you and me this very day. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, in the name of Jesus, we come. We're coming to feast and there's joy that is in our hearts. There's fear, true Lord, because of the broken world we live in. But we're reminded of your power and your presence. So Lord, as we come, let us continue to listen. Let us continue to see. Let us continue to think and feel as you would have us do. We pray this in the strong and perfect name of Christ. Amen.